My heart's just not in it. Ever find yourself saying that? My heart's just not in it. Sometimes I say it, sometimes I hear other people say it in terms of what they're dealing with in life. Sometimes it's their job that their heart's not in. Sometimes it's a relationship. My heart's just not in this relationship. Sometimes it's, it's uh, in something they've been called to do, some project they're working on. With any responsibility that's given, if your heart's not in it, if that emotional component is missing, then a vital element of our motivation is absent. My daughter and son, both when they were in high school, they both went to University High School here in Orlando, and when they attended, University High School had um, a premier marching band. Uh, their marching band uh, marched in uh, Macy's Day Parade one year. They marched in the Rose Bowl Parade one year. There, it was that caliber of a band. And my son uh, played three years in the band. He started a sophomore year there. He played trombone. My daughter, who was three years behind him, uh, was in the band with him her freshman year, his senior, and then her sophomore year, she played clarinet, she was in the band. My son had really enjoyed it. My daughter's heart just wasn't in it. You know, and I, I would watch the band practice, and, and uh, her sophomore year, I could tell she was sort of losing it, and uh, the band had to, when they, when they were done with a song, they'd have to run to different formations, and everyone run, and I'd see my daughter just sort of go, ah, you know, and I knew that was her last year. You know why? Because her heart wasn't in it. Ever been in a situation where you just, you've just sort of lost your emotion? You just can't muster up that, that emotional energy to make it work. I remember dating a girl in college that I uh, really, really liked, and uh, I thought, this is probably it. After three weeks of dating, I thought this was it, right? You have one of those relationships? And I remember after three weeks of, of really seeing a lot of each other, and I really, really liked her, she looked at me and she said, uh, we don't have a meaningful relationship. And uh, I thought I was a meaningful guy. I was really surprised by that. You know what she was saying? I'm just not into you. She's saying my heart's not in it. What are you really passionate about? What is it that just really grabs your heart? And how do you get your heart into something that you should get it into anyway? What, what do we need to do in order to accomplish this? So we're in a season where we're looking at our mission, both individually and as a church. And last week we talked about our logical, our, our mindful response to what God has called us to, his will for our lives, and, and, and how he has, has put things in our life to call us to, to accomplish his will. And we centered in our focus, how we needed to focus on who God is, and allow that focus over time as we continue it to become a mindset where we're thinking Spiritually, we're thinking above just the everyday life that we, that we lead. And so how we think determines to a great degree what we do. But we are much more than how we think and what we think about. It's not just all logical. We also have emotions that interweave themselves in the fabric of our lives. We have feelings too. They're there. We have a, that has a direct effect on what we do and perhaps more to the point, on how we do whatever it is we determine to do. If your heart's in it, you're gonna do it in a different way. So I'd like us to look at our text, uh, Romans 12, one and two, it's on the screen. I'd like you to stand to your feet. We did this last week and, and I would like us to once again uh, say these words out loud as we focus on this call from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in terms of our response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Read this with me full voice. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So for those of you who weren't here last week, and and by way of reminder for those of you who were, this is a key point in Paul's letter to the Roman, Roman church. He spent 11 chapters talking about all the wonderful things we have in Christ who we are, what he's done for us, the, the sacrifice that he's made for us. And now, uh, at this juncture in this letter, he then says, okay, this is what we're called to do. This is what I, I, I want to call you to do. I want to call you to action. I want to inspire you to understand that we have a mission that we have an opportunity to be part of. It's the living God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, not just for us as a church corporately, but as for all of us as individuals. God has a will, a purpose for you, a mission. I I ask people all the time this question, and uh, I probably infer it every time I speak. The the question is this, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing spiritually? And uh, when I ask that question, I'm obviously anticipating a response, but the anticipation of my response isn't just I just don't want to hear words. You know what I'm really looking for when I ask that question? I, I want to see the light in that person's eyes. I want to see the light in their eyes. A good number of Christians are dutiful, but they're dull. They're just going through the motions. Have you ever been in that place in your, in your spiritual walk? I have, and it's not all that enjoyable. I'm doing it. I know I need to do it, but my heart's not in it. Years ago, my son was in eighth grade. My daughter was in fifth. Uh, We lived in Massachusetts. We went on our annual Christmas shopping, family Christmas shopping uh, trip and uh, went to the mall. And uh, this is the time where I I give my children money so they could buy me presents, right? Isn't that just great how that works? And so uh, here's some money. Go buy me a gift. And uh, so we showed up and walked in the mall. And uh, the first thing my son saw was this cutlery store with all these knives and all sorts of sharp-edged instruments and he stopped at this this huge display and he's looking at it he goes dad 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 and he's looking at this big hunting knife he says could i could i get that knife and uh i looked at him and i looked at the knife i said no no not not son not not tonight this is the night where you we are going shopping for me okay not you And I remember it it just wasn't the right thing to say, I guess, at that time. And he looked at me, and he got a little bit sullen. And for the next two hours, he just sort of putzed around behind us, just always 20 yards behind us. What do you want to do now? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Who do you want to buy? I don't know. Just like, oh, boy. It just made it miserable. His heart wasn't in it. So we got in the car after after enduring all this. And and, um, I was in grad school getting my counseling degree, and we had this wonderful lesson on the paradoxical prescription where you prescribe for your clients the exact opposite behavior you want them to have so they'll stumble into correct behavior and then be cured. It doesn't work, but it was interesting. And um, so I thought I'd try it out on my son. We were pulling out of the parking lot and I said, Chris, loved your attitude in the mall. That's the way I want you to shop. Keep that up, buddy. Whatever you do, just have that attitude and I think it's going to carry you through. My wife didn't know I was doing this, so her mouth is falling open looking at me. 
And my son then leans forward, puts his hand on her shoulder and says, don't worry, mom, it's just something he's learning in school. So uh, that was sort of my experience that way. I'll tell you why that was a, was a tough time for me. Here I am, I'm giving him the money. I'm giving him, I'm giving him the gift to gift back to me. But his heart's not in it. You know what God does for us as believers? He gives us gifts. And he doesn't give us gifts so we can go spend it on ourselves. He gives it so we have the privilege of giving back to him. Too many times we make the awkward distinction between our logic and our emotions, especially when it comes to our spiritual lives. Our truth, yes. But what do we do with our emotions? Truth isn't emotional, but truth comes wrapped in emotions. Do you know that? Truth isn't emotional. It's, it's black or white, right or wrong. But truth comes wrapped in emotions. I'm an Ohio State football fan. Ohio State played Clemson in the, in the four university playoff at the NCAA football finals this year. The score was 31-0, and uh, Ohio State lost to Clemson. That's the fact. You know the emotions that's wrapped in? Sorrow for an Ohio State fan. Joy for a Clemson fan. And all those who don't like Ohio State, although I can't imagine anyone not like Ohio State. Renee and I celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary last May. That's a fact. That fact comes wrapped in emotions. I love that woman. And there's a lot of emotional component to that fact. I have five grandchildren, but that fact comes wrapped in emotions. Have I showed you any pictures of my grandchildren? You'd like to see one, wouldn't you? Okay, I'm sure you would. Here, here they are. These are my five grandchildren. This is taken the day after Thanksgiving. We were all together for Thanksgiving up in Chicago. Uh, far right is my grandson, Keller, which is just a great name. Uh, Zoe uh, is next to him. He's my, she's my son's oldest. And then Mabel, who's not real happy. She wasn't really happy all day with the pictures. She just wanted to make a statement. She's two. She's my son's youngest. Uh, first row right, that's Fiona, my daughter's youngest. And then Charlotte, uh, my uh, other granddaughter, my son's middle daughter. I have to tell you, that picture comes wrapped in my emotions. I cannot tell you how much I love those kids. I thought I knew love when I met my wife, and then I thought it went deeper when I had kids, but I'm telling you, grandkids, it just takes you a whole different level. I remember I saw a bumper sticker when I was in college of all times. I, I never forgot, though. It's a bumper sticker said, if I had known my grandchildren were so much fun, I would have them first. And that's true. So they are a lot of fun. Here, here's, here's what Paul's saying. The mercies of God are a fact. We talked about that last week. We read about them last week. God is rich in mercy, Paul says. Ephesians 2. He loves us. He saved us by grace. He raises us up with Christ. We are honored. He's kind to us. He shares incomparable riches with us. Those are all facts. So now Paul calls us to mission, but not just to, to mission in terms of facts, not just factually, but emotionally. So there, there, there are two things I, I want to just touch on as we, we think of this emotional component to mission. The first one is this, is there's emotional motivation to do what God calls us to. There's emotional motivation. You look at the text, and you look how he starts. He goes, therefore, I urge you. 
And you, you read over that, and sometimes you don't get the, the emotional component of it, but this word parakleo, same word paraclete that's used for the Holy Spirit, para alongside of kaleo, to, to, to call someone to something. It's, you get the sense of someone who's, who's just by your side encouraging you on. It's an emotional word. It's, it's urging. It's a call. It's an invitation. It's also translated as, as a pleading. I plead with you or I appeal to you. I exhort you. I beg you. I beseech you to respond. It's a completely emotional word. Did you ever have someone come alongside you and encourage you emotionally? It's quite, uh, it's quite a wonderful thing when it's done well. I told you last week that I, I ran the Boston Marathon in 1981 and I told you about my training, but there's one scenario that, that is embedded in my memory uh, in, in the uh, marathon that I, I come back to over and over again. It was the last few miles of the race. I was on Mass Ave. Uh, it's just, you just think this race is never going to end. You're just putting one foot in front of the other. You don't know if you're going to make it or, or keel over. You're that tired. It's probably about the 24th mile. And I'm running along, and I'm trying to finish, trying to run every step, and then two women passed me on the left. This went right by me. It's not funny. It's just they just passed me on the left, okay? It's just that's okay. And, and on the back of their, their T-shirts were, were these words, Marathon Moms Track Club. And one had, had evidently run marathons before. It must have been the other one's first marathon, like it was my first marathon. And this one w woman was saying to the other over and over again, you're looking great. Your stride's good. You just have a few more miles to go. We're going to make it over and over and over. Encourage, encourage. Emotional motivation. It's the only time in my life I ever wished I gave, had given birth because I wanted to be a marathon mom, right? <laughs> I tried to run along, pretend I was one, but they passed me and they, they left me in the dust. Paul is coming alongside us, really, through the Spirit and is saying, look, there's an emotional motivation to do what God wants you to do. There's something in it that goes beyond just the truth. It, 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 that God's call is not just an emotional one. Obviously, it, it hinges on understanding and appreciation of God's great mercy. But he's calling us to more. The, the emotional response is one of love. It's loyalty. It's mercy. It's grace. It's zeal. I officiate weddings from time to time. I did one a year ago. Uh, last November, it was, um, it was one of those weddings where I knew both the bride and the groom. I, I uh, worked with them, got to know them, had seen them go through difficulties and, and conquer them. They, they just uh, had a wonderful relationship and, and, and a long uh, courtship. And finally, they, they, the day came where they were to be married and I was officiating. And so standing up there, you know, they work. I'm standing up there with the groom. The bride comes down the aisle and uh, the groom, uh, this dear guy, he just burst into tears. I mean, not just, not just weepy, weepy tears down the cheeks, but he just began to sob. He just cried and cried. I'm going, oh, okay. And everyone's sort of looking like, because he was, he was so happy and so in love that he just, he just burst into emotion. And of course, the bride sees this, she begins to cry, not just weepy, weepy, but she begins to sort of, so they're both standing in front of me sobbing, and um, 
going, okay, you know, let's, let's get going. And then I started to cry. I just, it was just one big cry fest. I, I passed my handkerchief around. I mean, it was just back and forth, it wasn't sanitary, but we just did it because we had to make it through the surface. What was that about? I'll tell you what it was about. It was emotional motivation. The fact was they were getting married, but there's emotion to it. God's called us on a mission. It's a fact, but there's emotion to it. There's something in it that goes deeper than just the fact. There's also an emotional reward. Not just emotional motivation, but emotional reward. You see at the tail end of this passage. Then you will be able, Paul says, to test to prove what God's will is. And, and look at the words that he uses to describe God's will. Good, that's great. But here's the emotional word. It's pleasing. It's pleasing. It's perfect. The word pleasing is, is, a, is a Greek word that combines the, the prefix you that, that talks about something that's good and arestos. Your arestos is, is the Greek word. Arestos just means pleasing. It's a redundancy. It's, it's, a, it's a hyper-pleasing. It's well-pleasing. It's an emotional reward for doing what God has called us to do. I remember the first time I experienced that, I decided at the end of my college uh, days that, that I would go into ministry. I, I'd recently begun to walk with Christ and, and wanted to, to sort of lock in some things that I was learning and really felt it would be good just to do a couple years maybe in ministry. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ was the organization that, that uh, really took me under its wing and, and uh, I, I said, okay, I'll go on. And, and do campus ministry, college ministry for a couple years, consolidate some things, and then go on and maybe figure out a career from there. And it was, it was, a, it was a logical step, and I, wanted, I had some good reasons to do it, but the emotional component never really kicked in until my first full year. I was at a school in, in southern Minnesota called Mankato State University. And a, a guy, a student by the name of Earl, was in my... Bible study that year. Earl stood six foot six, full beard, 250 pounds, just all muscle. He was that kind of a guy. Uh, but he began to grow as we, were, as we began to work and, and, and study the scripture together and do ministry together. And the last, I was only there for one year. We did a, a meeting and, and we stood in a circle praying for each other. Earl was next to me. Uh, the last time I was there in Mankato. And I remember he turned to me and he said, if you wouldn't have been here, I don't know what it would have happened to me spiritually. Thank you. And that's when the emotions kicked in. That God could use me in the life of another person. God can use you because he's called you to mission in the lives of others. One of my favorite songs that we sing here at Summit and... and I've always enjoyed the, the music here. Um, is a song called Joy Before Us. And uh, if you've sung it before, it's a, it's a song sung to Jesus in praise for his sacrifice for us. And using the text uh, of Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 12 uh, and, and verse 2. And, and the, the words of the chorus go like this. For the joy set before you, you came to our rescue. And for silver you were sold. Now the thieves, us the sinners, get heaven's gold. He who finds life will lose it. 
But in, but in losing, we're finding out there's what? There's joy waiting for us. You set joy before us. And, and the interesting thing about that song is that Andy Simons, the one who was at the piano this, this, uh, just now, he, he is the one who wrote that song. Composed it, wrote the words. I just love it. Hebrews 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the last time you experienced joy, real joy, deep joy. When's the last time? I have a joy experience on Sunday nights when I speak and I get in my Mazda 3 and I travel the 1.2 miles from here to my home and um, that is my joy experience. You know why? Because I've spoken three times that day. It's my last time I've spoken and um, I, I've done what I feel God wants me to do and it fills me up. It's a privilege to do it. There's nothing that God calls you to that won't end up in unspeakable joy. Let me say that again. There's nothing that God calls you to that won't end up in unspeakable joy. You're thinking, well, God can call us to some pretty hard things. God called people to even sacrifice their lives. What about that? that God calls sometimes us into, into times where we suffer. And I understand that. And I don't have every answer to every question revolving around that. But I know this, that ultimately it will end up in joy. A couple, couple weeks ago, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who's, who's really making an effort to walk with Christ. And he's, he's taking his faith and he's applying it to, to people in his family, people that have been difficult to love. And he's just going above and beyond to commit himself to, to rebuild relationships that have been broken. And, and we've been working through and, and his big discouragement is he's trying and he's trying and there's no response in, in terms uh, of the, uh, the people that he's, he's trying to love and, and he wants that so badly. And he goes, he looked at me and said, when, when, am I gonna, when am I gonna get my reward here? When's this gonna work? And I said, well, I said, when it does, if and when it does, we're just going to go and we're going to have a party. And we're going to celebrate in joy. And if it doesn't ever come to fruition, this side of eternity and the other side of eternity, when we're with the Lord, we're also going to have a party. We're going to have a party. And we're going to celebrate your obedience to what God called you to do. We're called as individuals and as a church to mission. So the next step will be delineated next week. But the call that God gives us is based on the truth of who he is. It's wrapped in the emotion of his love for us and our love for him in return. Our faith isn't sedentary. It's active to the point of being, as Paul calls us to in this passage, to being sacrificial. The day after that picture was taken was a Saturday after Thanksgiving and uh, it was the 
day of the Ohio State-Michigan game, and that's always the biggest game for Ohio State fans. And I watched it nervously and then couldn't watch it because it was just too, too emotional for me. So I taped it and wanted to make sure that I was going to be okay. And uh, uh, reminder, these are my four oldest grandchildren. And uh, they came into picture that day because my wife came up to me and said, hey, the kids are getting restless. And uh, they were asking to go swimming at our pool in the hotel. And will you take, take them with me to the pool in the hotel? Now, I was watching on my phone to see the result of the game, and I just saw that Ohio State had won in overtime, and I wanted to go in and watch the game on tape, you know, relaxed, because I knew the result, right? And uh, I did not want to take, I confess to you, my grandchildren all the way back to our hotel to swim in our pool when there are more important things to do, like watching the game. So. My wife looked at me and she said, Jim, I can't do it alone. And I said, okay. Did not have the best attitude. My heart was not in it. And I just, you know, I said, okay, if we're gonna do it, let's go, let's go. And it's just like, sort of like in this clipped manner. Okay, kids, come on, get your stuff. Let's get it together. Let's go. We're gonna be there. We're gonna be there for an hour. Come on, let's go. Swimsuits, changes. Come on, let's go get in the car, get in the car. Got him in the car. You know, I, you know, I wasn't awful and I didn't have, a, ridiculously bad attitude, but, but you know, it was maybe on the relational side of a drill sergeant, sort of like, kind of a deal, okay? So I'm sitting in the, in the seat behind the wheel of the car, my wife's up front, and then the, the middle two there, Fiona, Fiona's on the right of the middle two, and, and Charlotte's on the left. Charlotte's sitting right behind me in the back seat, Fiona's sitting back with Renee, and then the, the two bigger ones in the way back, and, and we're taking them swimming. Oh boy. And so Charlotte, the one in the gray top, says to the whole car, Grandpa's not happy. Grandpa does not want to take us swimming. Grandpa has a bad attitude. <laughs> my six-year-old granddaughter is calling me out in front of my other grandchildren. I couldn't believe it. And you know, you know when you're caught in something like that and you know she's right, and you don't know what to say. I, and I was trying to think of what to say, and I looked at my wife who was looking over at me, knowing I did that, not have the best attitude, and she just had this half smile on her face. She mercifully didn't say anything, but I could just hear the verses going on in her mind, like you reap what you sow, and be sure your sin will find you out, things like that. So I'm trying to find, what do I say to my granddaughter to, to sort of alleviate this situation? And before I could get a word out of my mouth, all this happened now within 30 seconds, my other granddaughter, Fiona, next to her brother there, the one just second from the right, says out loud, oh no, Grandpa's happy to do it. Grandpa loves us. He would never not want to take us swimming. It's like, God bless that little girl. Can you believe she said that? And you never saw a smile slapped on a grandfather's face so fast in your life. I was just... I was done for the time, man. I, I took them swimming. I had a good attitude the whole time, I can tell you that. Charlotte was watching, so I made sure I had it. And, uh, and I took them all the way through it. And here's what, here's what dawned on me as I sort of, you know, we laughed about it, but I thought about that later and I thought, oh, that's, that's a good picture. Because there's a wonderful verse that John writes in John 1.14. He says, and, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he ends that verse with... This phrase, he is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And Charlotte, 
who called me out was truth. And Fiona, who saved my neck, was grace. Jesus, when he came here to this earth, he came here in grace and truth. He told us what we needed, but then he loved, enough, loved us enough to give his life for us. God who is rich in mercy. And we do his will out of our love for him. I stand before you as a man who loves Jesus. And the more I love him, the more I can get my heart into it. Our mission just isn't logical. It's not just a head response. It's a heart response. So God has extended great mercy to us. But this is more than just a truth. It's a truth wrapped in emotions. You have to put your heart into it. And now you know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here and hear you speak to us. Lord, I pray for each person here. I have no idea uh, for most uh, everyone here where they are in terms of their walk with you, but I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a way that we would draw nearer to you and that we would not just respond to the truth of who you are, but the love that you have for us and the grace that you've extended. And I ask, Lord, as we consider this call that we would rekindle the love and the joy that perhaps we once had but maybe don't have now, that you would allow us to have that rekindled in our hearts through your spirit. And I ask that as we do your will, that we would do it with great joy and give you the praise and give you the honor. It's in Christ's wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen.